Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date, May 28th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How are you, my man? It looks really nice out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, very well tanned already. And uh, it's uh, the weather's beautiful out here. And, uh, and I got to see Jordan Peterson live the other uh, on uh, Friday night. And that was pretty spectacular. Um, it's really interesting seeing 5000 people fill an arena for a for a, uh, a lecture. And, uh, and it was it was fantastic. It was, I was so impressed. It was really, really good. He's much better live even than he is as a guest on a podcast. And, uh, and he's really good as a guest on a podcast. So, um, yeah, I, I just recommend everybody see him live. It, it was fantastic. Yeah. I was quite happy to see him when he came to Saskatoon as well, but it sounds like he put on a better show for you. Cause you said he actually discussed more than just one rule and uh when he was here he only discussed one rule from his newest book and that was great i mean he still had had brought the crowd to tears and and you know standing ovation applause you yeah know, all the way through his show so it was great i can't imagine if he talking about the entire book yeah he got through all 12 rules in uh in, in ours and he even said that at the end of the show he said this was the first show that he actually got through all 12 rules and it was the last show on the tour so um and because it was the last show on the tour he even did uh an extra long q a session at the end um i do have to say that his wife is uh pretty terrible at public speaking and she should not be opening the show <laughs> yeah you know i thought the same thing like she when they were here she spent 10 minutes just kind of talking about herself and i thought no offense mrs peterson but i don't really need to hear your life story i'm here to see your husband so <laughs> yeah like she and she's not very good um she's not a good public speaker so uh but at least it was only 10 minutes so uh yeah i mean but he's he's uh it's quite fascinating listening to him talk. And we had a special guest. We had Rex Murphy uh, give a give an opening speech. So that was pretty pretty special too. Wow, with live or we just videoed in? No, live. Wow. Oh my god, I'm jealous now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm glad you got to take that in. Wow. Yeah. Okay, Canada. So a couple of housekeeping notes before we get started. One and. Uh, I love this, actually. A listener, Donovan, had uh, commented on one of our posts and said, uh, so ranting Tony seems like a completely different guy than Tony on Sundays when Lewis is there. <laughs> I thought, well, um, I'm not sure how to take that, Donovan, but thanks for the post. <laughs> well, I would say I would say he's right, um, because, uh, well, I mean, in, in your the last rant that you did, f for sure. Uh, the last rant you did, you were, you could tell you're, you're angry. Um, but, and, uh, and so it was, it was a slightly different Tony. It was almost a, a, a Lewis like Tony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, so I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to, for anybody new out there, just to explain, you know, the basis of our show and how we, how we operate here. So 
typically I am kind of the straight man because I tend to bring the facts and Lewis nukes those facts with opinion bombs. Uh, in the summertime, Lewis, because he runs his own business, he doesn't have as much time to pay attention to politics. Me, my, uh, you know, my kids are growing up. I've got some time on my hands. So I tend to source a little bit more of the content in the summer than Lewis tends to do it in the wintertime. And there's a lot of times that I'll, uh, I'll bring stories up that I don't tell Lewis about before the show, knowing that it'll piss him off. And uh, so that tends to get things going a little, little better too. So uh, yeah, yeah, good observation, Donovan. I'm, I'm definitely a lot more calm and rational because I, I always know what's coming on the Sunday shows. <laughs> yeah. And, and the way the, and it's interesting because the winter shows are a little bit different than the, than the summer shows because of, because of that. Uh, because in the winter, I actually have more time on my hands than Tony. So I do a lot, a lot more of the research and stuff in the winter. And in the summer, Tony does more of the research. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, actually, I should probably throw this out there, too. Uh, we've noticed that since Bill C-11 passed, not saying this is a this is the tour related, but since Bill C-11, the censorship law became law. Uh, our plays, number of plays for our show has actually dropped almost 20%. So I don't know if it's just that there are certain podcast apps that have decided they uh, have to scrub this non-Canadian content from their list, or if it's just a, a big coincidence. But uh, yeah, censorship is alive. Yeah, we know. I noticed that as well. Uh, I was just actually, before, you, uh, before we started the show this morning, I was looking at our plays and I was like, wait a minute. The last yeah. few, the last couple of shows here, they've uh, the the plays are down quite a, quite noticeably. So, um, I hope it's not because our listeners are tired of us uh, and that it's actually because of C eleven. But it it is coincidental if if it's not because of C eleven because because uh, it is it seems to be directly correlated. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, all right, so. Back to that rant I did on Tuesday, Rick actually posted on or sent us a message saying, saying, yep, like the rant, and we're going to need to hold Pierre Polyev's feet to the fire to, to keep his promises when he does become prime minister. And yep. I agree with that. I agree that Pierre Polyev is the only guy to, to beat Justin Trudeau and become Canada's next prime minister, which leads me into a, a rather lengthy exchange I had with listener Trevor on Messenger, who is convinced I need to be be on team Polyev, and as the regular listeners know i'm a big supporter of maxime bernier uh, in this portage lisgar by-election so just to explain to, to canadians uh, the whole process of the by-elections and how this all works lewis i gotta ask you do the will these by-elections make any changes at all on the makeup of our government no okay so if for example, these four current by-elections were all won by the Marxist-Leninist Party of Canada. And no, I'm not talking about the current NDP Liberal Coalition, although I can understand why one would confuse the two. So if the Marxist-Leninist Party of Canada won all four of these by-elections, would the government change? No. Okay. So if, on the other end of it, the People's Party of Canada, for example, won all four by-elections, would that change the government? No. So Pierre Polyev would still be leader of the opposition? Yes. And Justin Trudeau would still be prime minister? Unfortunately. Okay. So now, if the example of the Marxist-Leninist Party 
winning all four of these by-elections or the People's Party winning all four, would that send a message to said government that maybe they need to change what they're doing? Yes. See, I think so too. And that's kind of why Trevor and others out there who are mad at me for liking the People's Party of Canada, that's why I really want to see something like that happen. I'd love to see Maxime Bernier be that next Deb Gray or for that matter, if it was someone from the Communist Party, then I guess that would be, they'd make Justin Trudeau move further left. But if we did elect a People's Party representative, that would make Pierre Polyev say, um, yeah, geez, I guess I'd better start talking about freedom again, and maybe I'd better mean it. Because right now, he's sort of drifted from that, and he still talks about getting rid of the gatekeepers, and he still talks about affordability, so fantastic. But I think he would have to mean it a lot more if. Maxime Bernier won. So uh, uh, indulge me, if you will, Canada, on just a little bit of a rant to start the show. This is why I have no trust in establishment politicians. And Pierre Polyev has been a politician elected since he was 24 or 25. When he was 19, he was selling memberships for the Reform Party in Calgary for Jason Kenney. So he's been in this game a long time. And so have we. I mean, my political engagement started when I was 10 years old when Pierre Elliott Trudeau was, was prime minister and brought in the national energy policy, which bankrupted the, the province of Alberta and gave us double digit unemployment for better part of 15 years. It was actually the only on the, re, the rebound probably a couple of years before you moved there, Lewis. So it was a very yeah. long economic depression in Alberta. And I remember nerdy as I am, I was about, I think I was about 12 and Brian Mulroney got elected turning 13 and I was pumped I thought yes this is the man who's gonna gonna turn this ship around he booted Trudeau out of office with the largest majority in Canadian history 50 percent of the vote 70 some percent of the seats I think it was about 70 yeah and uh yep we thought Brian Mulroney was the man well it took all of about maybe three years before at least in Alberta I think it was nationwide we started calling him Lion Brian and he decided he was going to give a CF-18 defense contract, a maintenance contract for the CF-18s to Canada Air in Montreal for purely political reasons, because Bristol Aerospace in Winnipeg had a far superior bid. And, well, we, uh, we said that's probably about enough of that. Then he brought in a GST. And what do you know, by 1989, his majority had been reduced and Deb Gray came along. And I thought, yep, Preston Manning is going to be the man who's going to who's going to write this ship, is going to save this country. And then the Eastern media called made fun of the Reform Party, said it's a Western party, made fun of Preston Manning's glasses, his squeaky voice, his haircut, his capped or his non-capped teeth. And Preston Manning said, well, maybe we need to be a national party. Maybe we need to form government. And then he decided to start wearing contact lenses, change his haircut got his teeth capped and started taking French lessons in Quebec city. And I said, well, that doesn't really seem like the guy that I uh, was going to say the West wants in and change Ottawa. And then he decided he had to reach out to Joe Clark and merge the two parties together, the PCs and the reform party. And well, Stephen Harper finished that job for him. Unfortunately, it cost Preston Manning his job. And then Stephen Harper, and I still will say he is our greatest living prime minister. But even Stephen Harper didn't think of anything reform when he was in government. 
Pierre Poiliev was his minister of democratic reform. And we never heard the words citizen initiated referenda. We never heard the words triple E Senate. We never heard anything, citizen initiative, referenda, recall, triple E Senate, none of that. Nothing came from Pierre Poiliev when he was the guy that could have brought some of that in. So forgive me if I've lost faith in establishment politicians and you'll forgive me if I know Maxime Bernier will never be prime minister, but I just hope like hell that he actually gets a voice in the House of Commons so that he can bring some common sense back to the right side of the ledger. Rant over. No, it's a good one. And I agree with everything you said. Um, because Max on our show has stated numerous times that conservative leaders will say one thing during a leadership campaign and won't say any of it during a, uh, a general election campaign. And he's right. And he's right. And once they become prime minister, they don't they don't follow through on on most of what they say that they will do and and most of it is reform right most of it is reforming different departments of the government reforming laws reforming uh tax uh laws and and stuff like that and they don't do it i mean the only tax law that i know of that has been followed like a tax promise that was followed through on with Stephen Harper lowering the GST to 5%. Um, now he started out saying he was going to scrap the GST and he never did. Um, you, you'll see that there's, you know, and, and here's the thing, like everybody's looking at, at Pierre Polyev as a savior. I think he's going to be a million times better than Trudeau, no matter, no matter what, even if he only, even if he only keeps 10% of his promises, Canada will be in a much, much better place than it is now. You're here. But he is a career politician. I'm sorry, but he is. He, he's been, like you said, he was selling memberships for the Reform Party back when he was when he was basically a kid, and and he's he's been in public office since he was a very young adult, and I mean this is this is a man who just like just like Justin Trudeau has never had a job like a real job. Right. He's always been in public office. And I'm not saying that's not a hard job. It is because I, I mean, I, I know Dan Albus, who's a conservative MP. And and uh, and I mean, he works all the time, but it's not the same. It's not the same as having a regular nine to five job and trying to make ends meet, because as an MP, you make really good money like really good money you're a top what three percent or five four percent income earner in canada if you're an mp so i mean you're making really good money you've never had to struggle you've never had to you know work paycheck to paycheck you don't know what the rest of us go through especially if you've been in public office your whole adult life 
And Pierre Polyev has been in public office his whole, whole entire, you know, uh, adult life. That's not saying I don't support him. I do. I'm voting for him. I don't give a crap who else is running. Pierre Polyev is my man in this next election. After that, we will find out if he is the man or not. And as conservative voters, we have to hold him account. We have to say, hey, buddy, you said you were going to make sure that we got to keep our guns. You said that you were going to reform tax policy. You said this. You said that. Are you going to do it? You have to do it. Because if you don't, guess who's getting my vote next time? It is not going to be the conservatives. It will be the PPC. Yeah, I think that sentiment actually is pretty widespread too. I mean, there's a lot of people who who say, and when we we address this with Max, I think a couple of times when he's been on our show, people say, "Oh, I like Max Bernier, but I just can't vote for him right now." And I think you're right. I think if uh, Pierre Polyev doesn't, you know, stand by what he has promised, you're going to hear those people saying, "Okay, well, I'm done with you now." So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right. Well, I think it's like we got to give Pierre a chance for sure. I mean, he his party is the only party that is positioned to take uh, to take the next election. So we have to give him a chance. We have to we have to say, all right, now that you've gotten rid of of Comrade Trudeau, you gotta you gotta you gotta show us that you deserved our vote. Yep. And if right. he and if he doesn't, if he doesn't show that he deserved our vote, then we gotta we gotta give our vote to someone who will deserve it right yeah. now i hope he does i hope he comes through i hope he does everything that he says he's gonna do because i mean that that's because that's why you vote for him right so so canada is in desperate need for pierre polyev to do what he says he's gonna do the country's future really does depend on it Yep, exactly. Which brings us to the topics for the day. So thank you for indulging us on that, Canada. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the show today, public inquiry. Well, what public inquiry? Canada swimming in debt. Police officers learn that freedom isn't free after all. And more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's save. Uh... Let's save the public inquiry till last. So let's talk about the police officers. Yeah, let's do that. Now, um, you had uh, texted me a few days ago and said, hey, we should, uh, we should talk about this because there was a police officer in Windsor who was charged with uh, discreditable conduct for the crime of donating $50 to the Freedom Convoy. Yeah. And... <clears throat> Then I was reminded of that lady who was a uh, constable, Aaron Howard, who was a Durham region police officer. She's a lady that posted the video of herself in uniform saying that this, these freedom convoy truckers, these, these folks are heroes. They're standing up for freedoms and freedom is something we need to defend. And she was actually charged with two counts of discreditable conduct, subordinate or insubordination and breach of confidence. And both her and Constable Briscoe had to donate 
uh, a number of hours to community service for their crimes. And I asked myself, what kind of crime is it just to support uh, a protest? But there's also a Ottawa police constable and her name was Christina Nielsen, who was also charged with discreditable conduct for the exact same crime of donating $50 to the Freedom Convoy. And we should have seen this coming because the interim police chief at the time, Steve Bell, did say at the time that the Freedom Convoy was being violently thrown down by armed thugs. Oh, right. They were also police officers, those armed thugs. Uh, violently, ta violently taking down the freedom convoy. Steve Bell said, "We're coming after you. We're going to be investigating, and we're going to we're going to be charging anybody who supported this convoy." And uh, Niagara area trucker, Mister Howard Deonkers, knows all about that because he was recently just brought into Ottawa to face three charges of mischief and I think counseling mischief that never actually happened and some other ridiculous trumped up charges anyway, but. Yeah, his case is still pending, and uh, then one more. There is a case of an officer here in Saskatoon who, in April of twenty-one, attended a uh, a kids' day in the park, but it was against the public health orders because you were not allowed to gather. He was not in uniform. He was actually off duty that day and brought his kids to the park so that they could actually play with other kids. And he was disciplined by the Saskatoon police, uh, told not to come to work the following Monday. And then was told he would be on desk duty and not working in the community afterward as his punishment. So he resigned and he resigned and told his whole story. So we've got four police officers there who are heroes actually standing up for freedom and being punished by the man. Well, that and that last one with the kids day in the park, I mean, that was a that was a full year after the lockdown started at a time when we knew that kids were not affected by this and they were that the, they were it was safe for them to be around other kids I mean my kids were in school during that time like they were in class I mean this is it is crazy I mean schools were open so why couldn't they go to the playground you know okay. I mean that's that's crazy and now Briscoe the thing with Briscoe I think I think people are going to be if you haven't heard already if you've heard his punishment is quite severe uh he has been ordered to forfeit 80 hours that's two full working weeks uh to working for free and those and those hours must be done on his days off or on holidays so he has to go to work and work as a police officer for two whole weeks in the next eight months that are are, are on days when he should be taking his days off or his holiday time um i mean there's there's a word for that or two words for that indentured servitude um, yeah, good, good one. And uh, I mean, it's, I, I thought, you know, slavery was illegal. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, it's not slavery, but it's, it's definitely indentured servitude. And that's, uh, 
that's not cool. I mean, I didn't know that that was even illegal in Canada, that someone be ordered to work by the government for free. Yeah. And uh, let me see which other one was that. Um, Constable Nielsen, uh, same thing. I think she has to give 40 hours of her time for free as well. So it's uh, it's almost like the judges just kind of are, are playing the Scott Moe. They're looking over their shoulder, over to the right or left going, oh, oh yeah, we'll, we'll see what they did. Well, let, let's try that. It's, uh, well, I call it BS is what I call it. I mean, it, it is real because it's happening, but it's, uh, yeah, indentured servitude is the, is the best way to describe that. You nailed it. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand how that can be even legal. Um, I mean, that, yeah, I, I, it, it was, I was actually quite at a loss for words at first when that happened, and, and I didn't know quite what to say. I mean, when you, like that, that's got to be unconstitutional at the very least, right? I mean, but yeah, it's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. And I mean, whether you agree with the, with these cops or not, I mean, I, I have a friend who's, who does not support what the police officers did, uh, that, you know, they, that they, uh, what's the word betrayed their fellow police officers who had to do policing on, uh, with that, with that, uh, uh protest, um, I think is what, is what he said to me and i said yeah but that doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not the punishment does not fit the so-called crime the the this is unjust punishment and and if they're gonna get away with that with these guys what you know what's next like that's the thing right like people people are okay with things happening to people that they don't agree with but when it happens to, to them or to someone that, that they do agree with, uh, then they go, hey, where's the outcry? Well, what makes you think anybody's going to stand up for you when you didn't stand up for them? Yeah. I mean, wrong, wrong is wrong, period. And, and when you allow something wrong to happen, without speaking up against it you're just giving permission for more wrong to happen well that's absolutely true yeah and you know that when you said that that reminds me of uh this thing and i've read it several times and i can't remember who it's attributed to historically but they uh you know it's a big long quote that says you know first they they came for your guns and and nobody yep. said anything then they came for your freedom of speech and nobody said anything and you know that it keeps coming down to things they take and then it says uh then finally they came after you and there was nobody standing behind you anymore yeah. uh, essentially what it said and that's and what you were saying is absolutely right that that's what it is i mean oh yeah well it's just some police officers i don't know screw them and then next just that's that security guard that you don't know so screw them and next suddenly they're coming for you and then it's like well hey who's going to stand up for me well, nobody dumbass because, you know, they've got everybody else. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it, it's sad. And with, uh, I actually can take the other side when it comes to Constable Howard's husband, because he was a police officer and he actually had shared the email address of the judge. And in her case, 
and then uh, on a, on a, some some social media anyway. And then he deleted the account after realizing he was a dumbass. But by that time, it had already gotten out, and the judge had received like 500 emails or something like that. So he was disciplined, and I say, you know, rightfully so in his case. Yes, but, absolutely. But not in the case of his wife. I'm 100% behind his wife. So yeah, yeah, me too. No, but that's that. What he did was totally wrong. And he should be punished for it for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So, let us move on to Canada's indebtedness. I was absolutely floored by this. And well, the one article I read that talked about it, I'm going to bring that up first because it said that, oh, the Bank of Canada is concerned about recessionary pressures with our level of debt. And I said, wait a minute, the definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth, correct? Yes, it is. Okay, so now we've had negative 0.7% and negative 0.2% growth in the last two quarters. Very, very mild recession, but to me, that still defines that we are already in a recession. And I know that there were these two dumbasses from rural Canada talking, oh, a year ago that recession was coming. And then these same dumbasses a few months ago said, hey, you know what? looks like we're already in a recession because one of those dumbasses is actually a businessman and could see it right in front of his face i just can't think of who those dumbasses were oh me me uh it was us it it was us and yet again i'm gonna ask if two dumbasses from rural canada could see right in front of our faces that we're already in a recession how is it the mainstream media gets away with telling us, oh, we're not there, it's not coming, we are concerned about recession? It's here, dumbasses, and it's been here for, well, six months now. Yeah, and that's something that uh, the definition of a recession, like you said, it has been established for decades and decades, um, and it's two consecutive quarters of negative growth. And, but, when this started, the redefining of recession, it started with Joe Biden in the States uh, when he said that it was not negative growth, it was job loss um, that they had to go by. Well, and that the reason he said that was because he, they had already recorded two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Uh, this was like three months ago. Um, like they, like the U S was in recession a solid quarter before Canada. And so, but he didn't want it to be under, you know, that they were going into a recession under his watch. So they decided to change the definition and the media played along with it. And it was a certain amount of job loss that they had to achieve and they hadn't achieved it yet. Right. So that meant they weren't in a recession. So they, they're, they're just playing games. I mean, there is a, and, and the media acted like, I remember seeing media personalities saying, oh, yeah, well, I don't know who came up with that definition that two consecutive quarters is uh, <laughs> of negative growth is, is, uh, is, is the, the definition of a, of a recession. Like, like whoever came up with that, that must have been just some pie in the sky, you know, thing that they just came up with. I mean, they, they were acting like that is that hasn't been the definition or that it was never was the definition. I mean, it is so 
blatantly obvious that the media is in the pocket of the left-wing parties. It's unbelievable. I mean, and, and they don't even try to hide it anymore. Oh, uh, that's not the definition. You know, yes, it is. It always has been. That's yeah. always been the definition. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yes, we are in a recession in Canada, and our household debt, as the relation to GDP in Canada, has now exceeded Canada's GDP. So let's put that in plain English. Canadians' household debt actually exceeds the value of the entire Canadian economy. Household debt is now 107% of GDP. And 75% of that household debt is mortgage debt. So tack on to that the fact that people who are renewing their mortgages, hello, Tony here, are going to be facing much higher interest rates. Uh, ours is up in September. So uh, our interest rate is probably going to, at the very least, double. And a lot of Canadians who leveraged a more expensive home than they could afford because interest rates were so low are now going to find themselves potentially underwater that they can't afford to make the payments, especially when you couple that with higher food prices. Our second carbon tax coming in this clean fuel standard in July and the carbon tax itself increasing with a recession, with stagflation. Oh, where did that term come from? Oh, right, uh -huh. from Lewis. And no one else was talking about it until, well, I don't know, a month or so ago. But thanks that Lewis brought that up well over a year ago. But this country is in serious trouble. If our recession deepens, you are going to see a lot more bankruptcies. In fact, they're already on the way up, if I'm not mistaken. Well, bankruptcies have been way up since COVID started. And, uh, and they haven't dropped. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the scary part, right? I mean, the bankruptcies have not dropped and they're, and they are starting to increase again. And this is, I mean, these are things we've been talking about for three years. And, and I mean, it's not like we're making stuff up. I mean, it's common sense stuff. I mean, this is really, it really is common sense that, you know, if you shut down the economy for, you know, six months, well, businesses are going to go bankrupt. People who weren't working are going to go bankrupt. And when, when they all got to go back to work, when they got to open their businesses again, they were able to make it, you know, they were able to, to just scrape by for, you know, a couple of years until the, until inflation hit because of all the money that was printed during COVID and, and then their debt became unserviceable and now they're declaring bankruptcy. I mean, it's, I don't know why this comes as a surprise to all the experts when those of us who don't claim to be experts knew it was happening. Well, that's well said. Yeah. Yeah, it's not hard to see it coming in. And you have a unique perspective as well because you are a business owner and I mean, you obviously have clientele to service. And when you see right in front of your face, uh, hey, I've got to work a little harder to, to drum up business right now because people don't have the money to spend. Well, maybe people should be saying, oh, well, hey, Mr. Business Owner, um, what else are you seeing out there? But instead, they're going to their quote unquote experts who work at University X and, well, like some of them politicians have never actually had a real job outside of academia. 
and yet they're the ones that we're supposed to be listening to in terms of how, how our economy is doing. I mean, that system is backwards. Yeah, and they don't live, they don't live in the real world. Basically, I mean, they live in they live in the academia world, which never goes into recession because everybody wants an education. Um, so, I mean, it, they, they don't understand what a recession actually means or what, or what it actually is. I mean, the thing is, is that I see it every day because I do own a business and, you know, it's, uh, what I find a little, you know, concerning is just how much money is being spent right now. Um, if we're in a recession, like the amount of money that people are spending is it, it, it's it's a it's unbelievable like uh and they're all putting it on lines of credit which is all probably considered mortgage debt because it's uh because they're they're basically second mortgages on their houses right so um well, if they're attached know, to their mortgage yeah and many are attached to the value of the house so yeah yeah. So you see, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of those line of credits are, are uh, encompassed in that 75% mortgage debt, right? Like the 75% of the Canada's household debt is mortgage debt. I'm sure a lot of that is line of credits. And, uh, and the line of credits interest rates have skyrocketed as well, right? I mean, they've, they've gone up at least three times in the last, uh, in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months. So, um, you know, it, it is very concerning. And I mean, I, I have friends who are real estate agents and they said that, you know, for a while there, when the interest rates went up, housing sales basically stopped. Like no houses were selling at all for, you know, for uh, almost a year. And then now they, they've, they just exploded again. The sales have just gone through the roof and they're, they can't keep houses even on the market. Um, they're they're hitting the market and selling before they're even uh, showing up on realtor.ca like they, they it's it's crazy and like the realtors are telling me they don't understand because like the interest rates are like five and a half six percent and and they can't understand why the sales are 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 you know skyrocketing the way they are um but uh but it is very concerning because that's a lot of debt, especially when you consider that, you know, there's more Canadian household debt than there is uh, government debt. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I'm reminded again, I don't know how many of our listeners have ever watched that movie, The Big Short. And it's a movie that talks about the financial crisis in 2008. And the whole movie is about these three different uh, groups of people who saw what was coming and started betting against the housing market and the mortgage-backed securities that were very popular in the States. And so when the crash came down, these few people just made out like bandits. They made billions of dollars literally by shorting the real estate market. And I actually watched that movie because Netflix was, uh, was discontinuing their carrying of it at the end of April. So I watched it again, just before they, they took it off Netflix. And I just look and think that's got to be coming here. I mean, our houses are so overvalued because our supply is so limited. I saw an article and I, I, I actually think it was on CBC where I read it, which is surprising because it was critical. 
And it talked about how a house in, I think it was Niagara Falls, the average house was like $565,000. But you could go across the other side of the lake into New York State, where that same house was 164000 So uh, they just said, yeah, it's not necessarily that the house itself is so highly valued. It's just that the market being the way it is with supply shortage, you've got Hey, my neighbor listed theirs for 500. Maybe I'm going to go for five and a quarter. And it just, you just kind of keep bidding up that way. And that's going to come crashing down. And if our recession deepens, where maybe we get up into a three to 4%, even 2% negative growth, suddenly, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Canadians pay their mortgages, but they sure don't if they don't have a job or any money coming in. So I'm, yeah. I'm a little concerned. I mean, uh, my wife and I are going to be okay when we refinance ours. We're halfway through. We've uh, so we're not going to fall underwater as far as the value of our mortgage versus the value of our house is concerned. And 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 we're in a market where housing still isn't ridiculously expensive. So we're okay here. But I feel really bad for people in Vancouver or Toronto or uh, Halifax now, where housing is through the roof. Or where I live. I mean, it's. Where I live, housing is through the roof. Like if I was trying to get into the housing market now, I wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, well, I remember when so, I came to visit you, well, probably what, 10 years ago when I came out to yeah. spend a weekend with you in the Okanagan. And remember at that time you were saying people are were like begging even just to rent a bedroom out of somebody's house if they yeah. if that was available and they weren't. So Yeah, and that's what it's like now still it's uh and i mean just a just a room in a house goes for a thousand bucks a month so yeah and i mean you got to be careful comparing housing from one side of the border to the other because don't forget that the u.s border is the most southern point in our country and that's the most northern point point of their country so they've got you know 2000 miles of of land south of that line so for canada the u.s border is the most desirable real estate in the country because it's the most south it's the most south and in the u.s they've got that's the least desirable because it's the most northern so don't you, you gotta we gotta be really careful comparing real estate prices from one side of the border to the other that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So from, well, indebted Canadians to the $1,500 a day special rapporteur who said. Excuse me. All right. Come on. Nothing to see here. Please disperse. Nothing to see here. Please. Oh, no, nothing to see here. No public inquiry needed. Boy, oh boy, did we ever not see that coming. Whoa. Yeah. Go back and listen to our show a week ago <laughs> <laughs> and and see us predict that exact outcome. Um, like, you know, Trudeau's ski buddy decided that Trudeau, you know, that there was nothing to see there. That, the, the, you know, there was no wrongdoing. Well, of course not. I mean... The special rapporteur, you know, stupid names for stupid jobs. Um, his own kids went to university in China. His, you know, he's a he's a close personal friend of Justin Trudeau. 
He's, you know, it's just, I mean, even Warren Kinsella, even that dumbass is tearing uh, this whole report to shreds. Even he, who is a liberal lackey, who, you know, Jean Chrétien's right-hand man, the the guy is, you know, dyed-in-the-wool liberal. I mean, he's, even he is saying this is a joke, that this is a travesty that should not have happened, that that a public inquiry should should have happened absolutely 100%. Yeah, and uh, well, you know what? I know that uh, both David Johnson and Justin Trudeau suddenly now are trying to diminish the relationship that they had. And oh, I've only spoken to him once since he was become prime minister or become liberal leader or whatever it was. So let's just play that clip again when uh, Justin Trudeau was gushing about his relationship with David Johnson. I've known the governor general since I was a kid from visiting him and his daughters when he was principal of McGill, to spending time on the ice or the slopes at their uh, family home in the Laurentians. And I've always known him to be a man of strength, intelligence, and compassion. But getting to know someone as a family friend or a friend of your father's is very different from having the honor of working alongside them. Mandate to come to know the governor general, not only as a friendly neighbor, quite literally. Yeah, you know, the close family friend and, uh, you know, the uh, a close neighbor, quite literally. Oh, and we going skiing with his kids and visiting him at McGill. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like just a completely distant, casual acquaintance relationship. All right. Yeah, and there's there's a video of David Johnston in an in an interview saying the exact same thing, saying that you know he was a, a really close personal friend of uh, of of Pierre Trudeau, and uh, that their daughter that his daughters and Justin grew up together and skied together, and they were neighbors and and all of this kind of stuff. Like, I mean, the, so which is it? Were you lying then, or are you lying now? But, you know, judging by the outcome of this uh, report, I would say you were lying now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, just for a little taste of irony, that video you're referring to, he's being interviewed by none other than Robert Fife. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who is now the biggest critic of all of this, which, yeah. so, which um, is interesting. Yeah. And what's also interesting and... Uh, Okay, listener, Bill, I'm just going to warn you right now, you might want to find a safe place to pull over. Mackenzie, get both hands on your steering wheel so you don't start bashing the steering wheel. David Johnson, he got himself cleared. He took advice from a former Supreme Court justice, Frank Frank Lacabucci, who uh, told him that, nope, there's no conflict of interest in what you're doing. Who's Frank Lacabucci? Oh, wait a minute. He was also a mentor to the Trudeau Foundation. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Of course, nothing to see here, folks. Please disperse. Oh, my God. And unreal. uh, Is is there is there like a judiciary or or, you know, important person in this country that has never 
had any you know relationship with the trudeau foundation or the trudeau family like this this, this, they might be the most connected people in the history of this country he is certainly the most laurentian prime minister we've ever had and i'm glad you asked it that way because the uh the special counsel or the advisory general counsel for the special rapporteur is named Sheila Block. Now, I don't expect anybody to know the name Sheila Block. She's a Toronto lawyer. And sorry, Bill. Sorry, Mackenzie. She just happens to be, be a Toronto lawyer who has donated just over $7,500 to the Liberal Party of Canada between 2006 and 2022. And no other political party in Canada. Could David Johnson possibly have chosen? anybody else that does is not so heavily invested in the liberal party of canada wow (laughs) corruption runs so deep in there and uh i saw an editorial cartoon yesterday and it had a gravestone to said david johnson's reputation r.i.p and he's he he has totally flushed it right down the toilet yeah well, I mean, like you, you and I have talked about him before on this show. He's the best governor general this country has ever had. And yet that doesn't matter anymore. No, that's right. Yep. It does not matter one bit now. He's, he's, uh, he's thrown it all away. And because yeah, he's just a, like the rest of them. Yeah, he is. And then when he announced that there would be no public inquiry because one wasn't needed, he did say that there was that we were going to have some public hearings. Now he's made fifteen hundred dollars a day for the last two months to determine there's nothing to see here. Who do he suggest should be leading these public hearings? Oh, himself, of course. <laughs> of course, he should be leading the public hearings, and of course, he should travel the country to hear what we have to say about election interference. <laughs> Oh my God. You it know what? It, it's really and it's really funny because his number one reason for not having a public inquiry into into uh election interference is that you know basically it's hard. You know, yeah. like because there's there's so much, you know, uh confidential information and stuff that you know it's just it's just too hard. Well, guess what? Most of that confidential information has already been leaked to the public like just god damn man like grow a pair yeah well and on that subject of he he also suggested that in his you know refusal to hold a public inquiry that the media uh was have you know accused of shoddy reporting and he wants to he thinks we should need to punish the whistleblowers he said go after the leakers go after the media so that is not always the answer like the government's doing something bad one of their employees goes people should know about this and they let them know and everybody piles on the guy who or the person that said hey the government's doing something bad and we everybody should know about it why are (laughs) we mad at the government for doing something bad well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I mean, they want to go after the whistleblowers because they want to shut them up, but they want to discourage anybody else from speaking out that, hey, there's something bad going on here that people need to know about. 
Yeah, but it's like, I mean, like, let, let's just look at the most the most famous whistleblower of them all, Ed Snowden, right? I mean, Edward Snowden is a hero. I'm sorry, he is. He is a hero. I mean, he he let it be known that the government was doing illegal surveillance on their own people. He just told everybody that the government was breaking the law and contravening all their rights and freedoms. And he is holed up in Russia because if he steps foot outside of Russia, he's getting deported back to the U.S. for for a, a trial. And a hundred percent, he will be going to jail for the rest of his life. Yeah, ridiculous, isn't it? And and, and all this illegal surveillance that the government is still happening, and they haven't gotten rid of the program, and, and nobody is complaining about it. Like, what the hell? Like this. <laughs> We're living in backwards world, man. Well, we really are. And these public hearings that David Johnson himself is going to preside over is just going to be another circus, another clown show. And it's going to actually, I'll just ask you, what will these public hearings actually accomplish? Nothing, nothing at all. Exactly. There will be more of more of the same. Oh, nope. The government did nothing wrong. And, uh, I think the way you said it last weekend was the best when uh, you, you said that, you know, no government has done more to fight election interference than the liberal government. And yeah, and that's, that's exactly what they'll find. I mean, uh, it's very easy to put partisan plants in the crowd, give them questions to ask and give them statements to make at these public hearings. And don't think it doesn't happen because Lewis, you and I have both been to these kind of events where yeah. it's, well, and I guess it's one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You uh, you see that yeah. person that asked that very scripted question, they get a very scripted answer, and it's just like, you can even hear some people yell out, what, from the back of the audience. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you and I have seen so many of those at political rallies that uh, it, they're easy to spot when you get to these public hearings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, we're... we're He's going to find nothing of significance. Let's put it that way. It's yeah. going to, and that, and that's, you know, that's another bold prediction from Canadian common sense. <laughs> yep. Another bold prediction that will quickly prove itself to be correct. So, yeah. All right, Canada, we're going to wrap it up on that. So we do want to thank you for joining us. Those who are still with us and haven't had our show censored yet. So, uh, until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony.